Welcome to Kelly Dry's Ad Law Access Podcast. I'm Jessica Rich, and I'm here with Paul Singer to talk about privacy developments we're watching this year on both the federal and the state fronts. Uh, why don't we start by introducing ourselves to remind our audience who we are and why they should listen to us. Paul. Well, thanks, Jessica. I'm Paul Singer. Um, I'm not sure about uh, why they should listen to us. I have a 13-year-old and 11-year-old who would um, tell you there's no reason to listen to me. But um, I, I suppose for our audience sake, um, just as a, a way of background on myself, um, I up until a few months ago, I spent my entire career at the Texas Attorney General's office, which was just over 21 years there, um, and spent all of my time there handling major consumer protection initiatives um, in a variety of roles, including the Consumer Protection Division Chief for a number of years. And during that time, I, I oversaw the major privacy enforcement and developments um, that were happening both within the state, but then also on a multi-state level where all the states were working in a coordinated fashion. Great. And I'm Jessica Rich. And as background on me, I'm the former director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection at the FTC. And that's the large unit that oversees the privacy, the fraud, and the advertising program. And before that, I was the first and longtime manager of the FTC's privacy and data security program. Uh, for better or worse, worse, I've been working on privacy for over 25 years. And I think I remember meeting Paul when he was just a pup and somebody brought him in and said, you have to meet this up and coming guy from Texas, Paul Singer. And then here he pops in uh, at Kelly Dry years later as my uh, close colleague. So I'm just delighted to be working with Paul. But still a pup. Still a pup. <laughs> still <Yes>. a pup. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, why don't we start with you? For the past couple years, we've been seeing just huge developments in the states on privacy, many led by you when you were a Texas pup. Texas Pop and then Deputy AG. Um, what developments are you watching for this upcoming year? Sure. Thanks, Jessica. And, and obviously, it's been a thrill for me to get to work this directly with you after you've been like an icon in this space for, for so, so long. But, um, you know, on the state side, obviously, the big thing right now is, is legislation. Um, last year, we saw uh, two new state laws come into effect. Well, we'll get passed in Virginia and Colorado that will be coming into effect uh, in 2023. Um, and then in California, uh, although they already have an effect, the, the CCPA, the CPRA also passed and, and is going to go through rulemaking um, in this coming year. So, you know, 2022 is certainly going to be a, a lot of attention to those three laws. Um, obviously, with, with rulemaking going forward in Colorado and California, that's going to drive a lot of focus and attention. But I think you're going to see other states most definitely paying attention and following suit. So already, here we are late January, and you've got over 20 states with pending bills right now that are looking at a variety of, of comprehensive privacy laws each in their own, you know, unique state way with, with some, you know, variation among the states. And, you know, I, I think that that variation and how that plays out through the legislative process is going to be very, very interesting to watch. And one of the key pieces is going to be whether or not states have 
a private right of action for those comprehensive privacy laws, which did not pass in Virginia and Colorado. Um, you know, so I, I think watch for that and watch what happens on that the legislative front. And and just a note as an aside, you know, obviously one of the main concerns to think about is going to be how these variances in state laws might play out from a business perspective and how you can ensure compliance with this this patchwork of privacy that that's going to exist throughout the country. You know, I, I, as, although we joke about, you know, my, my being a pup, I, I certainly was around and remember um, 15 years ago when that was the same, this is the same point we were at with, with state data breach notification laws. And you had a handful of states that had passed these laws. You had an outcry of concern about how could we ever comply with, with 50 various state laws. We need federal legislation. And, and here we are in 2022 with 50 state data breach notification laws. And so, you know, I, I think that the, the patchwork argument is only going to go so far in terms of addressing the, the discrepancies among state laws, but certainly um, it's relevant for states to know how that variance is going to become a difficulty for compliance for businesses. And so, you know, look for more on that in the future. Speaking of data breach laws, I, I certainly expect that states are going to be actively and, and aggressively enforcing those laws in, in 2022. Um, states have been at the forefront of uh, addressing data breaches as they arise using those laws. And so I think that as privacy becomes such a central focus, they're going to continue to use those laws for any breaches that occur. In addition, states are going to uh, basically get in sort of a competitive spirit as we see new uh, comprehensive privacy laws passed, those states that don't have them may be looking to bring privacy enforcement through existing state and federal laws. So, you know, we have states right now that that have laws about biometric identifiers that have never utilized those laws. I think you may see um, some of those states start to use them in 2022. Um, states may look back at federal laws like COPPA as a means to bring some privacy enforcement. Just uh, in the last few weeks, both New Mexico and Mississippi settled COPPA cases against Google. And so I'd expect to see other states looking at COPPA as a potential tool uh, to put in their, their arsenal for, for 2022. And then finally, you know, states are going to just go with their bread and butter UDAP laws with a privacy flavor, right? They're going to be looking at businesses and look to see, did you follow your your commitments that you made in your privacy policy? Did you make any public statements about how you're going to handle personal information and what you're going to do with that information and whether you're going to share it and with who that you didn't actually fully comply with? Those are sort of the clean UDAP violations that I'd expect to see states really trying to look for this coming year as a way to sort of keep up in the privacy space. But what do you think, Jessica, in terms of what you're going to see at a, at a federal level? Yeah, that's a whole other dimension. But I wanted to just make two points about uh, the interesting stuff you talked about. First, on the 50-state law prospect, state privacy law prospect, and the analogy to breach notification, I would say that privacy is a much more complex uh, issue than breach notification. So the specter of multiple state laws in the privacy area is is more complicated for companies than breach notification law, even though breach notification law is, is complex in and of itself. And I would also mention, because I recently took a look at it, that 
because of the specter of multiple state laws, the, there was recently an effort for the, to develop a model state law by the UCC, and I just looked at it, and, uh, you know, it's an interesting, that, that would be a law that, that states could pass that would be similar, so it wouldn't be so different across the states. But I just looked at it, and there's so many flexible terms in it that I'm not sure it's going to solve the problem because it all turns on um, what basically a company decides consumers would expect um, and what's beneficial to consumers. And, and every, any state can interpret that in its, its own way. So I'm not sure that's going to solve the problem. So on the federal front, which is what you asked about. So starting with the FTC, my area of specialty, <laughs> Uh, the FTC is definitely, it's made no secret that it's going to pursue a very aggressive privacy agenda, pushing the bounds of its legal authority, which is still uh, mostly based on Section 5 of the FTC Act, since Congress hasn't passed a general privacy law. There are sectoral laws, but it's really still revolves around, mostly around the FTC Act. So the FTC has already pledged to launch a very broad rulemaking to regulate so-called surveillance advertising uses MOSS procedures. And as we've written on our blog, and you can read it there, this, even though this is going to be a very ambitious rulemaking, a very, you know, a, a, a one that takes, a, takes a, lot, gets a lot of our attention, uh, it's going to take years to complete because of the cumbersome procedures that, that MAGMOS is. So, but we'll be watching that and blogging on it. We also expect the FTC to increase enforcement of existing laws and rules to push beyond Section 5 because um, enforcement of laws and rules enables the agency to get monetary relief, relief even after the Supreme Court's adverse ruling in the AMG case, which limited certain ave avenues for monetary relief. And one thing we're particularly watching in this space is enforcement of the health breach notification rule, which the FTC now announced covers virtually all health apps, contrary to the rulemaking record uh, to date. So we're looking for that. We're, the FTC is also going to be focusing on tech platforms and other large companies uh, through both aggressive enforcement that it's pledged to do and also high-profile studies. The FTC has a substantial ability to do studies, and it has one ongoing uh, a report on social media companies, which should be coming out in the coming year. And in all of its privacy cases, the FTC has said it will be seeking stringent remedies, including data deletion, bans on conduct, notices to consumers, stricter consent requirements, individual liability, and significant monetary relief based on a range of creative theories. Now, uh, we will. We may see companies push back on some of these creative and aggressive theories, but but we'll we'll be watching all of that uh, this year. We also are already seeing, and we expect to see more of other federal agencies flexing their muscles on privacy and data security as privacy continues its ascent to be a top regulatory consumer protection and risk management management issue. Um, the CFPB, for example, recently ordered the tech giants to turn over information regarding the data practices of the payment systems they operate. The FCC just moved to update its breach reporting rules under the CPNI rules. And the SEC just fined eight data, 
uh, broker dealers and investment companies for deficient cybersecurity uh, procedures, their words. And just yesterday, it want, said it wants to extend its cybersecurity rules to service providers. So there's a lot going on uh, at the federal agency level. Paul, do you want to, uh, and a lot of it is around the tech platforms. So Paul, do you want to talk a little more about the issues raised by the tech platforms? I, absolutely. And I'm going to take a page out of your book and, and also <laughs> first give you a couple of comments to your, to your remarks, though, <laughs> that I found really interesting. I think one, one thing to look out for that I probably should have mentioned in talking about state action, right, is that, you know, as Jessica noted, the, the FTC is going to look for ways to get around AMG, right, through some of these creative theories that they're going to develop. Well, one way to avoid attacks on creative theories is they're going to partner with states yes. and bring bring a, 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 a you know, traditional, um, you know, UDAP-type case um, but with a state partner that can give them that monetary hook and let them get some of those aggressive remedies that they're trying to seek, basically, you know, sort of arm in arm with a, with a state at that but, point. So can I ask you, aren't the state monetary remedies still limited to that state? Unless it's a multi-state, it's going to be limited to the states that are the partners, right? Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, but, but state, I mean, state penalty authority can get astronomical when, especially if you're talking about partnering with some of the larger states, uh, uh, you know, yeah. a partnership between the FTC and California alone could, could generate the types of, of significant penalties that the FTC might have realistically sought, you know, on, on their own, right? Yeah. So, so I, I, I would expect that, you know, yes, I mean, there are certain limitations that are going to happen, but, um, you know, the FTC may look to partner with multiple states depending on the type of conduct that they're, that they're engaged in. They've, they've done that historically, and, and, you know, I fully expect that they're going to ramp that up. Um, I think Chair Khan has been pretty transparent that that's our intent, is, is yeah. to ramp up that kind of that kind of, um, you know, joint effort. Um, and, and along those same lines, you know, I just note, you know, you talked about the CFPB and, and sort of their requests on, on payment platforms. The states also, you know, are sort of looking there and, and provided comments to the CFPB about all the types of complaints that they're seeing on, on the big tech payment platforms as well. And so, you know, again, I think all of this sort of unifies between some of the federal and state priorities. Um, there's a, a lot of opportunity for them to be working together in this coming year, which is just going to mean a, a, an increased focus on enforcement. Um, so that, that's kind of a nice segue into some of what's happening in, in the tech sector in particular. Um, obviously, big tech as as it's called has been such a key focus for the states um and and at the federal level in recent years and when we talk about that focus it's it's on a whole lot of different fronts um there's just sort of the the concept that there's a handful of players that have become so dominant in their acquisition of of data um and driving out competitors that it's it's resulted in allegations that you know have have crossed all sorts of areas into antitrust laws, and so you've seen a, a, a variety of actions brought at the state and federal level in the antitrust space. Um, but then also you're seeing cases brought about their misuse of the vast amounts of data that they're collecting that are really more in the privacy camp. 
um, as well as just sort of general misrepresentations that are being made that help them acquire all of that data and, and information on the front end. And so, and, and that's just sort of the general UDAP kind of violations that you get, um, as well as just sort of any other unfair or deceptive practice that that states or, or the feds are going to be able to find against these these technology companies. I think all of them are going to be such a, an important focus. And some of why I go through all of the different types of actions that are being brought is that especially when you look at some of the major antitrust cases that are filed right now and their focus on this sort of dominance in the marketplace and accumulation and and sort of just you know, holding of all of this information and personal data, um, there seems to be this inherent conflict between the antitrust allegations and some of the privacy concerns that you hear the regulators um, also talking about. So, you know, for example, in the in the you know ad tech space, when you look at um, you know a, a company's dominance in the marketplace and the fact that it's it's hoarding all this information and not fully sharing with other uh, companies, the the antitrust remedy might seem to be, well, then we should open up that data and provide it to everybody, which is sort of the opposite of what, from a privacy standpoint, regulators may be looking for in terms of trying to control the amount of information that's spread out among all of these, these different companies. I, I think that because that question is squarely in front of courts right now. And because it's a fundamental question that's being taken up in some of the, you know, proposed privacy legislation that Congress is looking at, this is sort of the year that I think that issue is going to have to be confronted head on. And there's going to have to be some resolution and, and some, you know, clarity as to where is that line between the accumulation of data and sharing of that data. And then, you know, the, the fundamental principles of, of protecting um, how much of that data is actually provided. Um, and meanwhile, as this debate continues, I think you'd expect and, and will see this year that, that, the large tech platforms are going to continue to tighten their access to the data and the type of information that they're sharing. You know, just yesterday, Google announced their, their new topics uh, proposal out of their privacy sandbox for interest-based advertising. That's, that's really going to focus on um, users' viewing habits and their web habits and, and sort of pigeonhole it into a predetermined topic that gets delivered. And, and that's how they're, they're currently proposing how they're going to deliver ads. It's, it's, you know, that kind of, um, uh, debate that's going to go on with these kinds of, you know, changes to the tech platforms, I think is really going to shake out in this coming year. Um, meanwhile, I think these platforms, you know, as I mentioned before, are going to be pursued under a variety of other privacy theories. Uh, just this week, you saw um, three states and the District of Columbia file suit against Google um, over its collection of geolocation information through its Android platform and through other Google services. Um, while the basic facts of that case are similar to an Arizona brought case um, from several months ago that have to do with, with misleading consumers about their location collection practices and their ability to control those practices. Um, what's really interesting about these new cases is it also brings a, a dark patterns allegation and that Google is using deceptive pop-ups and pressure tactics in order to 
get users to give up some of that private information and to to basically reauthorize the the data collection. Um, so that's just sort of a, an example, but I, I think this is really going to be the year that you're going to see states and the Fed sort of looking at some of these creative approaches to the tech platforms in particular, um, you know, and, and try to, to, to figure out ways to continue to combat them, um, you know, because that's, that's really where their, their focus and attention is right now. You know, um, um, oh, go ahead. No, no, please go. I was just going to add to the whole, the tension issue that you raised, um, you recently, between the antitrust goals of sort of sharing space and data and providing access and privacy, closing it off, you see that in the Klobuchar antitrust bill that's proceeding through Congress. So, so basically, the Klobuchar bill is about companies not favoring their own products and services over others. And so the re- basic requirement in the bill is that the platforms have to open up their platforms and let and provide the information to other companies so they can be on the platforms and have full functionality on the platforms. And people said, Ooh, what about privacy? So at the last minute, it was a management manager's amendment added with some privacy provisions, but they're kind of an afterthought and they don't really solve the issue. And the tension is still there. No, I think that's a great point. Um, so Jessica, do you want to shift gears and talk about uh, cross-border data transfers? Yes. So another thing that we are watching and many people are watching is that cross-border data transfers are going to become ever more difficult as privacy shield remains unresolved. And uh, the EU starts ramping up, it has been ramping up its, 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 its remedies for violation of, its, of the GDPR, including the cross-border rules. So uh, in case you missed it, uh, Austria's DPA recently held that Google Analytics violated the GDPR when it transferred to the U.S. EU citizens' IP address and identifiers and cookie data. So they're really looking at the cross-border uh, aspects of GDPR and enforcing against it uh, with Privacy Shield unresolved. And also... We're seeing record fines now for GDPR violations. Now, they still don't approach the fines that the FTC has obtained over the years. But um, during 2021, uh, one report said there was a sevenfold increase in GDPR fines, including for cross-border transfers. And so this is going to increase the peril for uh, multinational companies uh, who are doing business abroad or using... um, using databases in different countries uh, to, to, to process their operations. Um, Paul, do you want to talk about um, uh, the uh, class actions in the plaintiff's bar? Sure, absolutely. And and probably no surprise, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, as from, from our perspective, we're going to see the plaintiff's bar continue to push the envelope in, in 2022. Um, and, and really, this is despite having some setbacks uh, last year. The TransUnion versus Ramirez case in the Supreme Court that, you know, limited uh, the type of harm 
that is necessary or, or, or that, you know, provides Article 3 standing, you know, is certainly going to have a detriment, right? Because in that case, the court clarified the need for a, a concrete harm that's closely related to the traditional types of harms that, that have been sought in courts and, and not really just the threat of harm, even as, you know, realistic as that threat, you know, could be. That limitation, you know, obviously may, may, reduce the types of class actions that can be brought. But, you know, Thomas's dissent had a, a, an interesting footnote um, at the end of it that just kind of highlights the fact that, well, you know, this is all great, but, you know, removing federal court jurisdiction just means you're going to drive all these cases to the state courts and that state courts are going to be the sole vehicle to address all of these wrongs, because obviously the, the legislature and Congress are all, you know, focused on, on these kinds of harms that can potentially affect consumers. So I I think you might see that reality come to play where you see more of a shift in, into state approaches and, and state driven cases. But I think some, some other recent actions and, and cases and settlements that have occurred in the past year are are sort of a guide to what you might see in this coming year, which is just a, a sample of creativity. You know, I think over uh, just this summer, Zoom settled a class action that was um, inherently a, a breach of contract and, and an unfair practice case where, you know, the, the class was asserting that Zoom was sharing information with third parties and, and failed to protect its users from interference from third parties in their Zooms. You know, that, that kind of class action that was really a privacy focus couched as a, a contract claim, you know, you may see more actions like that. Similarly, we saw uh, the session replay software cases that were filed last year, which is cases against software companies that record data points of how users are interacting with a website. Again, those cases were alleging invasion of privacy and wiretap type claims um, due to the interception of communications that are being transmitted, which, you know, again, sort of novel creative approaches to a privacy focus of, of users' information. The question of whether that's an interception is, is an interesting one. Um, just yesterday, the Northern District of California had a case, um, Rodriguez versus Google, which is um, yet another case where Google was being sued in a class action for uh, the same types of location tracking that we talked about before in some of its apps. In that case, the, the class had asserted both a breach of contract claim and a wiretap claim under these, these allegations. And the court threw those out largely because, you know, it said that just by virtue of a user having a choice to make a, a switch on and off of, of data collection didn't create a new contract that could rise to a breach of contract claim. And again, the wiretap claim was, was dismissed for this same interception issue, that there was no interception of, of that information. So it wasn't a wiretap claim. Obviously, all sorts of other claims survive, as you'd expect to see in these class actions. They're going to throw as many creative claims at at defendants as they can and, and see what sticks. And I expect to see more of that creativity, um, in the coming year, especially because, you know, as, as part of that decision yesterday, um, the court did note that despite Google asserting that these were bad faith claims to, to try to assert them that didn't find any bad faith because this is such a complex area of law. 
to to try to figure out what what the right approach is. So I, I think that you'll see more and more of the plaintiffs bar pushing, um, you know, to assert some of this creativity. I think you'll also see in the pending legislation um, opportunity for the plaintiffs bar to, you know, try to make sure that there are an increased private right of action in, in some of these new state privacy laws that pass. And even as, you know, some of the existing state laws perhaps get looked at, things like biometrics where, you know, the states that, many states that have them right now, you know, in the handful of states that have passed biometric laws don't have a private right of action. Unlike, for example, Illinois, you might see more of an effort to try to get private rights of action in, in some of those states as well. But Jessica, I guess, you know, I've talked a lot about state law and sort of what's happening in, in various states and class action shifting to, to state enforcement. But what's Congress doing in response to all this? And, and what well, are we going to see from them? Before I move, and this is related, on the um, on the issue of the uh, Supreme Court's ruling in, in transunion and limiting, um, you know, harm for purposes of standing and private rights of action, I thought it was real. It, that plays into some of the federal debate about private rights of action. And I thought it was really interesting that some recent federal legislation I looked at granted a private right of action and it had a provision basically saying the things we're prohibiting in here are harm for the purpose of the private right of action. So we're going to be seeing efforts for legislatures, whether they're at the federal level or the state level, to try to, you know, make sure that there's a private, a real private right of action. So, so speaking of Congress, um, our last prediction is that Congress will continue to debate whether to pass a federal law, privacy law. We're really going out on a limb here that Congress, for the 22nd year in a row, uh, is going to debate federal privacy legislation. Of course, the harder question is whether Congress will finally pass federal privacy legislation. Now, the, the conditions are ripe for it, but they've been ripe for it in the basically, you know, at least 15 of the 22 years I've been following this. Um, consumers badly need consistent protections, at least baseline protections, just putting aside, you know, preemption issues right now. Businesses, they want broad-based federal privacy law. They want it with preemption to deal with the specter of more state privacy laws and create more consistency and even regulators um, like the FTC who are constantly under assault for overreach, underreach, you know, lack of authority, to, you know, uh, they, they need clarity as well. But, but Congress, as I said, has, has been debating this for 22 years. It's very controversial. Right now, there are no bills that have been marked up. There's a competition bill that's been marked up, but no privacy bills have been marked up. So, the more likely scenario, if anything happens, is that Congress will pass something narrower, like a bill to amend COPPA or provide new privacy protections for teens, which could be an area of consensus under Democrats and Republicans, and in fact is an area that, that is in need of reform. Now, another possibility just proposed by some Democrats is lem uh, legislation to limit uh, personalized advertising. Uh, which they call surveillance advertising, very similar to what the FTC is apparently uh, considering in its rule. But, you know, that would be very divisive and controversial in Congress. So I don't think it's it that's likely. As I mentioned, Klobuchar's antitrust bill has privacy provisions in it. So we, we need to be on the lookout because 
privacy uh, privacy laws and regulations could come from some really surprising uh, places. So we're watching all of these developments um, at the federal and state level, and we're going to be blogging about them uh, this year. So you'll want to you'll want to follow that. Yeah, and and one one thing I'd add that that you know related that kind of circles back to a point you made earlier, Jessica, is that I mean I I, I think that. You're absolutely right that the differences between complying with a breach notification law are totally different than the differences potentially between complying with, you know, 50 comprehensive privacy laws at a state level. But, but, you know, until there is enough of a difference that the, the point I guess I was trying to get across is that I think from a, you know, business perspective of having to be able to justify why those differences matter and why they make a, a true compliance problem. They've got to be able to really show a, a, an impact, right? As opposed to just saying these laws are different. Um, because I think that the, the history of the data breach notification process is going to be somewhat instructive and that, you know, maybe Congress isn't going to be driven to act until you really do see that it's going to harm businesses significantly to allow, you know, the kind of, of differences that could play out in some of these states. Because uh, you're right, the potential is certainly there to make compliance almost impossible for for companies moving forward. And so, you know, if, if that really does start to come um, into play, I would think that that'd be a really good driver to try to get Congress um, to a place where they, they kind of have to act. Um, that as that a, is know. such a good point. And, you know, it relates to your point about some of these 20 bills that you're watching on the state level are different. And it reminds me that I was sitting next to a Hill staffer at something and they said, they're just not hearing from the people out there that are worried about this. They're just not hearing from businesses the way they thought they would. That maybe businesses that, that California... Um, Virginia and Colorado are just too, so, you know, just similar enough that businesses are learning to live with it and they're not, um, they're not as worked up as they, as they thought they would be. Um, so for those of you out there that, that are already tearing your hair out, you should know that a person on the Hill said that to me. No, that's look. I think that's a that is an excellent point, um, and probably a good way to to wrap up our discussion um, as as maybe a key takeaway from from this conversation. Um, in in closing, I you know I think I hope you found this in, informative and instructive, and and obviously privacy is going to be at the forefront of this coming year on so many different fronts. You know, we here have a team at Kelly Dry that is focused on on every step of this, you know, and, and we're here to help and keep everybody posted uh, every step of the way. Um, you know, if you want more information on on any of these topics and and to stay uh, tuned and, and keep track of, of all of the developments as they occur, uh, we hope you'll visit adlawaccess.com where you can sign up for our blog and find more of the these podcasts. Um, and with that, we, we thank you all and hope you have a great day. Thank you.